man, we should sing that song every time. Every time, before I get up here, let's sing that song. Jimbo, let's do that. I'll tell you what, man, that's just, uh, I know I could get a little like, um, <laughs> okay, I don't know how you cannot move on that song. I'm just saying, how do you, how do you like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not even going to make fun of anybody right now. I'm just going to say, I just, whatever, whatever. I am so glad to see you guys this morning. I really, really am. I am just so stoked. Um, last week, I read through the entire chapter of, uh, of Matthew 5. And um, <laughs> knowing all that, that, if you were here, knowing all that chapter 5 entailed and what we read through and what we covered, for you to show up this week, you're just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> because it's hardcore. And... Um, you know, I just re- really have been praying throughout the week because I know that, you know, again, this, the, the, what we're going through really, really is a matter of the heart. And I love the fact that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, what we come away with is that none of us, none of us as believers are able to claim the high moral ground. None of us. <laughs> in other words, we are all in the same boat. Every man, woman and child, believer, non-believer. We are all in the same boat. All have fallen and fallen short, or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is none righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says about who we are. That's who we are. And so we cannot truly claim the high moral ground when we know what we've been saved from. I truly believe that God, that Jesus, gave us the Sermon on the Mount to teach us that we are so desperate for Him, that we need to be so desperate for Him and for His righteousness because we have none of our own. None of us can claim our righteousness. And if you do, you're being arrogant. And you're being a Pharisee. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27 to verse 32. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Thank you, Lord. Lord, even as we uh, just look to you, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back to verses 27 and 28, as we begin, where, where it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old. And so we come... To this familiar comment once again as we covered last week and we will certainly cover several more times not just in this this study but throughout the Sermon on the Mount we will come across that comment quite often but this is not only spoken of of what 
was said in the Ten Commandments because what he says in verse 27 where it says you shall not commit adultery is, is the seventh commandment. Okay? But he says, you have heard it said of old. And not just the, the seventh commandment, but it was also dealt with in the law. And, and the law dealt with the consequences that came with breaking that commandment. And so, so again, it's not just dealing with the Ten Commandments as a whole. It's dealing with what happens after that. And when people commit adultery, that, that the law has specific guidelines. It wasn't just, hey, don't do it. It's like, don't do it because there's consequences attached to that. And so the law dealt with it as well. Adultery is the sexual act or the willful act of sexual intercourse with someone other than your husband or your wife. You, you, you see, sex in the confines of marriage between a husband and a wife is perfectly fine. Matter of fact, he says, go for it. I, I truly do trip out when I'm when I'm uh, I, I'm performing weddings. You know, it's like when we're doing the premarital. Marital is like, don't stop it. Don't even look at each other. High five each other. If it gets too hard, high five each other. Don't do it. As soon as we're done with, with the with the thing, hey man, do whatever you want before the reception. If you want, whatever you want to do, <laughs> right? Because in that confines, it is okay now. Before, God says, don't. But in the confines of marriage, it is perfectly fine. It, it is the act of sexual intercourse outside of the confines of marriage that is called adultery. I know we want to clean it up. Oh, it's an affair. It's, what, it's adultery. That's what adultery is having sex outside of marriage. And, and this is what Deuteronomy says the consequences are for adultery. Deuteronomy 22, 22. And you can be writing these things down. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman... And you shall put away the evil from Israel. There, there, there was a consequence that came with breaking the seventh commandment. And that was death. You, you see, there's, there's, there's something about this whole sex thing <laughs> that God takes serious. Anything outside of marriage is called fornication or sexual immorality. The, the Greek word for fornication is porneia, where we get our word pornography from. And adultery can fall under that category. But more often than not, adultery is specific. <laughs> Whereas sexual immorality is so many different venues that you can go through. And I know in adultery, that's a, a lot of stuff that you can do as well. But but, but adultery has a specific thing to it. It has to be somebody is married there. Somebody is married. It, 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 this, this adultery thing has to do with going outside the marriage bond and or covenant. Breaking that covenant. It goes outside this, this covenant that two people have, have made with each other and with God. And so when you commit adultery, it was going outside of that covenant, breaking that covenant, if you will. Because, you see, in marriage, there is this, this oneness that God has ordained. As he said in the beginning... When he brought the woman to the man in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, 
And it says, it's, it, it, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In no other relationship that God bring about this oneness you are not one with your kids you're not one with your friends your besties whoever you're not one with your job you're not one with anybody except your spouse that is what god ordained in the beginning he says these two shall become one flesh Only in marriage, in marriage, there is no shame in the act of sexual intercourse. There's no shame in that. Oh, you might feel a little embarrassed or whatever, but there's no shame when God sees this happening. You don't have to feel shame in front of God. You're going, oh, gee. It's like, yes, he sees you naked. You see, it is in the act of sexual intercourse. In in that act, it's not just physical. It becomes emotional. And I will take it a step further as I read in the beginning of all this, what it entails. It becomes spiritual. There's a spirituality to this act of sex or sexual intercourse. Because in that very act is when God sees two people become one flesh. And I tell people, especially the, the couple that I'm marrying, I say, okay, in the ceremony, I'm going to say certain words. I kind of lie there. It's not like a, like a vicious lie. I say that in the, in the ceremony, I will say, by the end of this ceremony, these two people will be one. And I kind of lie about that. Because they are not one until they consummate the marriage. That is when God now sees them as one. But, you know, it it sounds good in the ceremony. It sounds really good. You're a liar. It's like, but they are. They're becoming one. But it is in that very act. And it is exclusive for marriage and marriage only. Not that he didn't want us to have fun or enjoy this act. It's not that God's like this killjoy. It's like, I don't want nobody having sex because sex is bad. It's like, that's not, no, he's saying it's good. It's precious. It's not only physical and emotional, it's spiritual. He just knew. He just knew the guilt and the shame that is associated with, with people having sex outside of marriage, whether it's adultery or fornication, there is a certain level of shame that is attached to it. And I would say this, it's not just in the body of Christ. It's not just with Christians. It's outside the body. There's people outside the body who use the term, oh, we're just living in sin. It's like, why would you say that? You're not even a Christian. Your life is sin. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But there's a certain thing about that, that there's this guilt and shame that people carry outside of marriage when they're doing this. That's why oftentimes, you know, even especially with adultery, that's why people keep that a secret until they get caught, usually. In in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge so so we've seen what the judgment for adultery is in Deuteronomy and there is also a judgment for fornication in the book of Deuteronomy as well for certain things acts and things that happen there's a judgment that comes with that 
And, and one might say, well, that was the way it was back then. <laughs> there really is no judgment for those things today. Well, I'm sure that in certain countries, there's probably still <laughs> a punishable offense or something that you can be punished for for committing adultery. There might be. I don't know for sure. And, and I do think, and I probably am correct in this, that there are still laws in, in, there are still laws on the books in certain states that adultery is still illegal. Hmm? <laughs> You're going, no. It's like, no, there is. But you're right. People are not being put to death, not by the government at least, um, over adultery. <laughs> but can I suggest to you that even though the government is not putting people to death for a, adultery, uh, can I suggest to you that, that marriages die because of adultery? It kills the spouse that is cheated on. It puts to death a sacred covenant and that trust that two people once had for each other. And there's a shame that is associated with that that people will carry for a long, long time in their life because of that. And, I, and to me, as I'm looking at all this stuff, going, okay, it's not what Deuteronomy says today in this country that we live in, but that's a pretty hardcore judgment when you have to carry around shame and guilt when you've destroyed a family and you don't get to come home to that anymore you know what i'm saying you know that's a pretty hardcore judgment because your spouse they're they're not always so thrilled about that when they find out it's like get out you know what i'm saying there's there is a judgment it's just not like deuteronomy says that they are both to be put to death and once again, I, I do find it interesting that, that Jesus is talking to his followers here. He's talking to his disciples. He, he, he is talking about the way it was or what was said of old. And he, and he is teaching them. And yet, outside the church, outside the Christian community, adultery doesn't go over very well either. You know, I, I, I think of some of these people that are in the public eye. Then all of a sudden they're, they're, you know, out doing whatever and then they get caught or however the case is. And even they <laughs> go, I don't like that. <laughs> now I know that in our day and age, man, it just seems like everything goes. And nothing is really judged. And everybody's okay with it and they're not. <laughs> I can guarantee you that they're not. Adultery is still adultery whether you're a believer or not a believer. And people aren't too thrilled about that. And I know the perpetrator will often say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, well, yeah, just tell your husband or your wife about that. They're going, it's a huge deal. Maybe because marriage is honorable among all, Christian or non-Christian, marriage is honorable in all societies even those outside the church. And this whole redefining of marriage is really, really messing up society. <laughs> it really is. Because you see, they really want to justify their sin. And I don't care how many times they try to explain to us that it is okay and it is normal. It is associated with adultery and fornication. And it is not okay. And people are getting hurt. But people are fighting so much to this. Because if the, if, the, if the country says it's okay, then it's okay. And God must be okay with it. It's like, no, he has not changed his mind in any way today. In this country, even. And I know that people, well, you guys are so backwards or you guys are so old-fashioned. It's like, it's the word of God. It transcends cultures. It really does. Because it's not about, for them, it's not about morality, it's about rights. It's like, no, it's still about morality, no matter who you are. So once again, 
people can't say, as they hear the first verse, it says, you shall not commit adultery. People can say, well, never done that. And shame on those who have. And see, and, and, and so the people who have never committed adultery can look down on the people who have and take the high moral ground and say, well, you get what you deserve for going outside your marriage. See, it's easy to say that when you've never committed that and you've seen somebody else commit that and all of a sudden you're going, serves them right. But and then he gets to verse 28. It's like... Couldn't he have just stopped at verse 27? And we, most of, a lot of us would say, check, I am that good. But he gets to verse 28. He says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> and once again... Jesus is ta- talking to his disciples. He's, he's basically upping the ante here once again. And he's not discounting the outward actions by any means. But he is saying to them, but as for you, you who follow me, I'm looking at the intent of the heart. And again, this is where it's like, oh, geez, kidding me, Lord. (laughs) He says, whoever looks at a woman with lust in her heart or lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the word look here is not simply see a woman. But it carries with it the meaning to, to turn the eyes to anything, to look at, to look upon, to gaze at as a creeper. No, I didn't say the creeper. <laughs> that is, it's like, that's in the Greek? <laughs> it's like, no, it didn't. But, but you know what? I had to go there. But it literally means to earnestly covet her. To earnestly covet her. Because you see the word lust that follows that carries the meaning to set the heart upon, i.e. long for, rightfully or otherwise, covet, desire, lust after. So you see, it's, it's not so much the look as it is the heart behind the look. Now, even though the action was never taken, the intention is at the for- forefront, and, and, and so that person has already done that right here in their heart, as they, as they have looked upon a woman with lust in their heart. They have already committed the, the act in their heart. And he who sees the heart... <laughs> is aware of the intent behind it. (laughs) And I know what we might think. That's not fair. That's not fair, man. God made these beautiful women. (laughs) That's not fair, man. I'm just looking at their beauty. It's like, yeah, right, you perv. Come on. (laughs) The beauty of it? I get it. (laughs) I would never do that. Yeah, because you get caught. And that is true, that a lot of us (laughs) would never do that. But you see, once again, Jesus is upping the ante for us. (laughs) He is upping the ante for us to show us that we are no better than those who have actually done the act. We are no better. It's hard for us to take the moral ground, in other words. What what this shows us is that even though someone has committed adultery once, twice, ten times, yet we have done it a hundred times, 
a thousand times, a million times in our heart. And we look at somebody else and say, shame on you. And yet, if you could see somebody's heart, you're going, really? How many times have you committed that in your heart? How many times a day? Because you didn't get caught for it. You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. Now those who have committed adultery in their heart, again, may not suffer the consequences of losing their marriage. But you suffer the consequences of having it embedded in your heart and mind forever, man. And you deal with it. And you feel bad for it. When, 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 when you and your wife are intimate, or when you and your husband are intimate, and you've had all these other thoughts of all these other people, and those things keep coming up and coming up and coming up. And it's hard to shake that. Now, I know what all of this has done for me. <laughs> it has made me less judgmental. It really has. Not just as I've studied here for, for all my Christian life. It, it has helped me not to be so judgmental in those who have messed up. With those who have committed that physical act of adultery. And the consequences that have come from that. My heart breaks. And I'm not excusing any of that. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that it's okay. Because they've done it and I've never done it. I'm not saying that. What I say is, there by the grace of God, go I. <laughs> without being tempered. Without the Holy Spirit living within me. Now, I know that these verses are in the masculine. <laughs> but I would say that 90% of the time, as far as the physical act is concerned as well, 90% of the time, there is a female on the other end of this adultery. At least 90% of the time. When, when adultery is committed in the heart, <laughs> most of the time, the other party has no clue that they've just been undressed and all that stuff. They have no clue. They're unaware of what has happened in someone's heart. And yes, most men <laughs> are the ones that have the hard time with lust, desire, coveting another man's wife or a woman. Now, women, you're not as clean as the wind-driven snow either. <laughs> Just because you know that men are pigs and dogs. Your lust, your desires, your covetousness of the heart might look different. But those sins in your heart are just as visible to the one who sees your heart. Oh, your sin, your sin of your heart is not as sexual as, as, as men's but it is just as sensual. It is just as carnal, just as physical, and just as fleshly. Because when you're on the other end, lusting after or, or desiring somebody else that would coddle you, that would do this thing, that would be nice to you, that would be this, that would not just treat you like whatever, you know, you're, you're, it's just as bad when you're going, if only I had. And it's like God's going, don't go, don't go there. Don't go there. And, and I share this because I don't want you as women to think that this verse doesn't apply to you because it's in the masculine. <laughs> it applies to all of us. Because what you end up doing is what those who have never committed adultery physically do. You look down on the men because men are pigs and they are dogs. And you know how bad men are. But once again, Jesus ups the ante to all his followers. 
male and female. It doesn't matter. You know, because again, the man would say, but I've never done it. It's like, yeah, but you've thought it a million times. It's like, but, but. And yet, the woman, you know, if the man could sometimes see the woman's heart, it's like, but you wish I wasn't your husband because that guy's a lot nicer or holier or whatever it is. Just as bad, dude. Again, I, th- I think he does that to all of us so that we understand that we are all desperate for him and that we all sin. Every one of us. And none of us can take that high moral ground and say, well, I would never. And maybe you wouldn't. But your mind and your eyes and your heart do it a thousand times a day in so many different aspects. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now understand this, and I hope you totally understand this, even as we just read it. God or Jesus is not advocating for mutilation. (laughs) We'd all have (laughs) a right eye out. And instead of handshaking, it'd be just a stub bump. You know? (laughs) But what he is getting at is that this is serious. This is radical, and we need to deal with these issues in a serious and radical way. It needs to be dealt with. Not just the outward actions, but also the inward intentions. It's as radical as plucking out your eye and cutting off a limb, cutting off your hand. That's how radical it is. And, 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 and you know, if you, if you knew or, or you came up with you know, cancer in your life, I, I would guarantee you and, 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 and again, all of us would do this, we would take drastic measures and radical steps to get rid of that cancer. And this is how serious God is telling us in His Word, if there's these things that are causing you to stumble, pluck it out. Cut it off. <laughs> what, what, what is that, 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 that sin that serves as a trap? What is that sin that ensnares you and causes you to stumble? Cut it off. Get rid of it, right? Sounds so easy. (laughs) But he is really not talking about your right eye. And he's really not talking about your right hand. He's talking about your heart. I could do without a right eye. Well, maybe not. This is really bad. Take that one. (laughs) And I could do without a right hand. But we cannot do without a heart. We die. Right? Again, he's saying, you desperately need me. (laughs) Because we do these things in our hearts all the time. And I know it would be easy to say to somebody, well, get rid of the TV. Get rid of the, of, of the phones and the computers. Back in the day, you say of the magazines and stuff like that, you know. <clears throat> well, get rid of all that stuff. It would be easy to say, don't go here, don't go there. It would be easy to say those things. But everywhere you go, your heart goes with you. And I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't get rid of certain things that, that cause us to stumble. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take actions to, to prevent certain things. But it's all a heart issue for all of us. We're all in the same boat. The guy behind the pulpit as well as the guy down here. Everybody's in the same boat. And we can't get away from this heart. So there has to be something radical that happens here. And only Jesus can do that. And that's what he's telling us. My Holy Spirit can give you the strength day in and day out. And when you sin, 
Not if. And when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. He will fight your case still. When you sin. <laughs> there has to be this radical change that happens in here. And you can't even do that. I can't even do that. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in me and through me to help me to fight what my mind and my eyes and my mouth and all these things want to say and do. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties or my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Please, God, <laughs> please help me. I don't know if you've ever been that desperate Nobody else knows, but it's killing you inside because you keep on doing this over and over and over again. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> because you could go blind and still lost. <laughs> you could have all your limbs cut off and everything else, and you will still sin. But we have an advocate with the Father. We truly do. And that's what 1 John chapter 2 says. When you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. When you sin. Not if you, when you. He says, for it is more profitable for you that you lose one of these limbs, that, 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 that you would have one of these members perish than for you to go into hell, to lose it all. Again, I just have this crazy little picture swirling in my mind that when we all get to heaven, we'll see all these maimed people. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> and some guy shakes your hand and goes, you got your hand? It's like, oh, I was left-handed. <laughs> I don't know who would escape it. I really don't. It's, it, it, because, guys, this issue <laughs> of all of this stuff has been going on since the very beginning. And it will happen to the very end. And sometimes I just go like, dang, man, we can't escape this stupid stuff, can we? No. And that's why Jesus puts it here and says, not just the actions, but the intentions. You need me desperately because you can make, or you can let your, your mind go crazy and go on and on and on. The word hell here is not the, the, the word we always hear for hell. Hades in the Greek or Sheol in the Hebrew. It is the Greek word genia or Gehenna, which was a place right south of Jerusalem in the Valley of Hinnom. And, and, and in the ancient days, in that little valley, they used to do a lot of human sacrifices. And then in the times of Jesus, it became a dumping ground. It was a, a dump. And there was always fire there. And there was maggots and all that stuff constantly going there. And, 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 and you know, people would throw rubbish and they'd throw carcasses of, of animals there and dump them there. And there was always this smoke rising. And there was always this just ugliness. And it was a picture of hell as far as the Gospel of John is concerned. Where, where, where he says, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And that was a picture of what hell would be like. And that's the, the hell that he's using here. They will be ongoing. In verse 31, 32. Furthermore, it has been said, basically the same thing you have heard it so, said to those of old. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, it has been said that 
Marriage is the number one cause for divorce. It's true. It's, it's profound, it's, but it's true. <laughs> Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. It was funny, come on. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who has taken her as wife, then the former husband, who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife, after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin in the land which the Lord God has given you as an inheritance. That's pretty harsh. And this is where it's like, okay, Pastor Boy, explain all that away. <laughs> How do we just explain that away? I can't. So we'll move on. <laughs> Again, that's what Deuteronomy said. But in the New Testament, when, when, when Jesus was being pressed on the issue of divorce, look at that. In Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 12, it says this, The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he said to them, What did Moses command? Again, Deuteronomy, what we just read. What did Moses command? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of, their heart, of your hearts, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again, <laughs> clarify this thing, the same matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery with her. And if a woman divorces her husband, husband and marries another she commits adultery he says that in another place with a whole different group of people when, when, when the Pharisees are now testing them so well, what did Moses say well Moses said this okay from the from the beginning that's not what God wanted that's not what he wanted he he, he wanted male and female forever that's what he wanted so that they can become one flesh. You see, God truly takes marriage seriously. Marriage is the first institution that God created here on earth. Marriage is the only thing that survived the Garden of Eden. Everything else was left there. Marriage is still sacred. He says this in Genesis 128. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the beginning, God made, made marriage to be between one man and one woman 
forever. Forever. <laughs> I think it has to do with, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I, I truly think that God only wants us to see one person naked ever. <laughs> and nobody else. And that's why he wanted marriage to be for life. So if God went through so much to make this marriage thing so special, then you can understand why he is so strict and so serious about divorce. And really, the only way out of divorce that he says is by seeing someone else naked. That's the only thing. He says, you can finish it right there. When they go and see someone else naked like that. <clears throat> now again, this is where someone would start saying, God really doesn't mean that for today, does he? Come on. Not in this day and age, does he? <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. Talk, talk us out of it. Throw some sugar on it. Sweeten it up here, man. Make it more palpable, you know. <laughs> this is kind of hard to swallow. And I've told you that the Sermon on the Mount is hard to swallow. It really is. Now, regardless of where some believers might be at as you listen to something like this, whether you're going through it, whether you have gone through it, or know someone, and you say, or so they say, but doesn't God want me to be happy? <laughs> and the answer is no. He does not want you to be happy. <coughs> it's not about your happiness. It is about your holiness. It is about what God's word has said. And I know that's hard. It's hard to swallow. Because we all want to be happy. And we don't want to be in the situations that we're in. And God really wants me to be happy. And it's like, no, he doesn't. He wants you to be holy. He truly does. That's why he takes this whole thing very, very serious. He takes marriage serious. He truly, truly hates divorce. He hates it. He says that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. He tells, he, he's talking to Israel. He says, quit treating your wife so treacherously. Don't do that. As much as people would think that divorce would fix everything. It really doesn't. Many of you, my age and older, who have gone through it personally or with your parents or your grandparents or whoever, it's affected you. It's affected you. It's tainted you. It's caused you to lean a certain way at times because it doesn't go away. Even if you were an adult when your parents did it, it hurts. And there's so much that comes along with that. And again, that's why God said, when you marry, it's a man and woman forever. There's less pain. Oh, there's pain in marriage. Don't get me wrong. There's less pain when you don't go outside of that. It's protected right there, man. And God says, it's good. It is so good. Now, you really don't want to go and sin in order to try to fix something that's already happened. <laughs> if you've never been there, do all you can to never be there. Please, please, do all you can. And if you've been there, or you are there, do all you can to draw close to God. <laughs> 
it, it, it's not difficult to understand what he's writing here, what he's saying here. It's hard to swallow, though. It really is. In so many different facets. And I know that some people are going to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah, 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 but, 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 but. He says, in the beginning, it was not so. But because of the hardness of the heart, he said, Moses permitted it. Doggone it, go ahead. Because of the hardness of the heart. And I truly believe, I truly do, that God does everything possible in a Christian life and also in non-Christian life about this whole marriage thing because it's, it's honorable among all. I truly believe he does all he can to try to keep that together. Because when you splinter that, <laughs> that's what it does. It splinters. There's never this clean little break. Yeah, but we had no kids together. There's still, you were one at one point. And there's no clean break. There's always something you carry with that. And that's what God wants you to draw near to him so he could draw near to you. Understand as we close that Jesus was teaching this sermon to tell his followers you and I that they could not even go a day without sinning <laughs> they could not go a day without sinning and that is why we need him so desperately amen father in heaven God I pray I pray that God your word has spoken <clears throat> and that your word has ministered maybe cleared some things up <laughs> even if it's brought some confusion Lord God I know that you are powerful enough to settle hearts and lives and Lord you look at our, our, our hearts and I thank you for that Lord I thank you I thank you for your mercy I thank you for your grace I thank you for your goodness I thank you for your judgments. You are holy. You are good. You've upped the ante even this morning with us. <laughs> Please, Lord, let us draw closer to you. I know for the believer, Lord, for some it's really, really hard. I pray that they would press into you. For those who might be here who are non-believers, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would even show them how serious you take matters. And even though it might sound old-fashioned, <laughs> it's still true. And you're still true, Lord. And you deal with things, Lord, and you love us. And you remind us that you are our advocate. You are our lawyer on retainer that is always fighting our case because you love us so much. And so I pray for the believer. I pray for even the non-believer that's here that they would receive this message, Lord, from you. Lord, save. Draw close. Do everything on our behalf, Lord, because we can't do it without you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>